0: Yeah, so, uh, man, I love that guy. Um, today, we're continuing on in a sermon series called Disciple. We're looking at the Gospel of Mark, uh, and today we'll be in the Gospel, in the gospel of Mark chapter 13. Uh, today, uh, I, we're going to look at a really difficult text, and my hope is that by looking and studying this difficult text, uh, that we will be encouraged and equipped to engage and navigate difficult times. So this is a difficult text, For difficult times. In fact, uh, Mark chapter 13 is kind of notorious in its difficulty and not only the content, but how we're supposed to think through it and apply it. And so we're going to work together today uh, to think through Mark chapter 13. And I just want to just set expectations, if that's okay. If you think that we are going to exhaust all of the questions and explore all of the nuances of this chapter in the next 30 minutes. You have way too high of an estimation of my capacities and also yours. And so uh, we're just going to take it. There's going to be a ton of unresolved tension and conflict, and that's just the way we like it because we have the rest of our lives to wrestle through and to converse over texts text like these as a church family. But I do know that there is some deep and profound truth here in the tension, in the difficulty, that I believe will help give us guidance as to how to apply this difficult text to difficult times. So this text, in Mark chapter 13, it's kind of really weird. It's kind of a little bit, sounds a little bit scary. And yet its goal is to bring to us a deep and abiding peace. Uh, Mark chapter 13 is one of the longest uh, teachings of Jesus, contiguous teachings of Jesus. Uh, In the Gospel of Mark, if you've been following along with us, you know that Mark usually likes to keep things short and tight. And yet here in Mark 13, we we get a short question with a long answer. And so we're going to take a look at the text together. I want to invite you to join me there. And we're just going to kind of go through uh, verse by verse and just notice some things and uh, tease them out as we go along. So check this out. This is the Gospel of Mark, uh, chapter 1. And so uh, we're, we're sandwiched here in a moment where Jesus has uh, entered into Jerusalem. He's gone to the temple. As some of you guys may remember, he like, he like kicked out the money changers and things like that. And now he's on his way out of the temple. Just notice here. Uh, and then after this, you'll actually get to like the Last Supper, and then the crucifixion, death, uh, burial, and then resurrection of Jesus. So we're kind of nearing the end of the Gospel of Mark, and 13 is the last uh, long teaching of Jesus in Mark. As he was going, where? Out of the temple, so just watch this. Just use your mind's eye. Okay, so Jesus has done all this activity in the temple. He's engaged with some of the leaders of the temple, dialogued with them, wrestled with them, debated them. He's flipped over money changers. He's done all this, and now his time at the temple is concluding. So he's leaving. He's going out from the temple, and one of his disciples said to him, "Teacher, look what massive stones! What impressive buildings!" And so, in the temple area, you had in Jerusalem this big temple and all the kind of buildings, and it really was impressive. These were huge stones that were stacked on top of each other. It was ornate. It was beautiful. In fact, if you were a Jew uh, living at that time, the temple would have been the pinnacle of your national pride and national security. If the temple was still standing, our people are still standing. So the temple was really, really important, not only to my national pride, if I'm Jewish, but also my national security. So if it's standing, we're standing. And so uh, the temple was not only magnificent to look at, it also had a very special place in the lives of uh, the Jewish people. Oh, and by the way, I wanted to say, on the 12th of May, uh, my friend Rabbi Jeremy Schneider is going to be joining us for our next At the Table gathering. And we're going to talk about how, even how like, uh, like evangelicals and Jew- and Jews today kind of think differently about faith and the Bible and we'll kind of do some Q&A. And so that'll be coming up. That's Thursday, the 12th of May. There's more information in your handout Uh, available for you. Just check out the At the Table uh, gathering. I'm really excited. Jeremy's a ton of fun, and we're going to have a blast. So uh, if you've ever had a question for a rabbi uh, and you wanted to ask it anonymously, this is a great opportunity uh, to do that. So I'm excited about that. But for the Jewish people at the time, the the temple had a pride of place. It It was an icon, so to speak. And so you've got this unnamed disciple kind of saying, look at these Jesus... Look at this massive building. Look at this wonderful temple. Don't you think it's awesome? And what do you think that that disciple's expected response was? Yeah. Yeah, you're right, guys. Yeah, like Jesus is Jewish. He's a Jewish teacher. The expectation is Jesus would look at the temple and be like, love it. Hmm? Right? And so here's this disciple. He's like, teacher, look at these massive stones. They're wonderful. Notice what Jesus does. Jesus said to him, do you see these great buildings? Uh huh. Yeah. We do. They're wonderful. Uh, Not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. Jesus, look at these beautiful buildings. Oh my goodness, they're so wonderful. It's all going to burn. Right? Like, you, just completely unexpected. You, I mean, we're just shaken awake by the, by the terse nature, frankly, uh, that Jesus places. But I think what Jesus is doing is he's actually instigating us to think a little bit more deeply about our, our favorite religious institutions or the places that we look to for safety, security, and pride. I think Jesus is shaking us awake, Because here's this disciple of Jesus saying, Jesus, look, it's the pinnacle of our faith. And Jesus says, it is coming down, bro. Not our faith, but what you think is a pinnacle of our faith. And I'll just say this right quick. Just because an institution falls does not mean the faith is under threat. I hear a lot of people talking about the greatest threat to the church. There is no threat to the church. Jesus is the risen king. So I I don't need to be worried about specifically my, like, my faith is not tethered to an institution that may or may not represent Jesus just here like the temple like my faith is in the risen Savior hmm? okay so, so we can be okay sometimes if institutions fall that, that, that can happen and I feel like in, in fact I'm going to push into that as we go along in this text by the way I love Desert Springs <laughs> and this is not a threat <laughs> I love this church I was baptized here, I met Jesus here, I got married right here, so I I like this institution, but it is not the center of my faith. Okay. Okay. All right. so Jesus says, do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left upon another, all will be thrown down. Uh Uh-oh, okay, serious? While he was sitting, okay, so now we get a little fast forward, so that's a little excursus. Jesus' member was leaving the temple, now we're kind of, we're zooming forward, we're zooming the tape forward. Now where's he sitting? He's sitting on the Mount of Olives, notice this, painted in your mind's eye. He's sitting now on the Mount of Olives, which is opposite of the Temple Mount. And now he's sitting what? Across from the Temple. Okay, notice that Mark intentionally paints the posture of Jesus now being, having left the Temple and now being opposite the Temple, you guys. here. There might be something more than just geography that we're supposed to see in here. It, It could be that Mark wants us to see that Jesus is now separating himself from the temple. If you want to get real Bible nerdy, this is kind of crazy. There's actually two temples in this picture. There's the actual physical temple, but maybe some of you remember that Jesus actually refers to his own self as the true temple. He says, tear this temple down and I'll raise it again. And so here you've got now two temples, one that's a source of national pride and national security, and the other that's a source of security, but in a different way. So it could be that there's a juxtaposition here. I think it's intentional. You don't have to. It's okay to be wrong. Jesus, he's across from the temple, and Peter, James, John, and Andrew, notice Peter, James, John, and Andrew, four of his named disciples, asked him privately, so they're saddling up to Jesus like, excuse me, you talk to him. Jesus, Jesus, could you tell us when will these things be happening? Now, is this a legitimate question? Of course it is, right? Of course, this is the most normal question in the world. Jesus, Jesus, I'm a little bit upset by what you said. Could you, t- maybe, you're gonna, maybe this is like in the new kingdom. Maybe this is at the resurrection, all this stuff. Maybe <laughs> that Jesus, you know, could be one of those silly parables that he's always doing. Jesus when are these things going to happen? And, because I want to know when it's going to happen, I need to be clued in, what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? Because when I see the sign, I want to... Is this not not the most natural question that they could ask? Yeah, of course they're asking this question. Okay, so Jesus, when and what's the sign? We need to know so that we can be prepared. Jesus told them, okay, (laughs) what... I love it. What was the question? When's the building going to collapse? And how do I know that it started? Notice Jesus does not answer the question in a satisfying way for them. Watch this. Jesus told them, watch out. Now TV time out. If you're tacking along, you got a Bible in front of you, maybe you got the hand out in front of you, you're watching online, you got it up on a screen in front of you. Just note how many times language like watch out, be alert, keep your eyes open, be aware shows up in this text. It is all over this text. In fact, the end of chapter 13 is the words be aware. Be awake, right? Be, have a mind that's awoken to the reality of the situation. Keep your eyes out there on the horizon. This is not, by the way, be fearful, but it is be aware. Be aware. Okay, so watch this. Jesus told them, watch out. Be aware that no one deceives you. What is Jesus' assumption? That his disciples could be what? What? Okay, note that. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will deceive many. Okay, what was the question that they asked? Okay, Jesus, you're saying that our our thing, our building, our institution of national safety and pride, it's going to collapse. Jesus, we got two important questions. When and how will we know? And Jesus says, watch out that you're not deceived. Jesus, we didn't ask you that question Jesus, we did not ask for a uh, discussion about deception. We want to know the when and the how we want to know. Now, why is Jesus saying, okay, so let's just think for a minute. Why is Jesus saying, watch out that you will not be deceived? You, You already know the answer, actually. When you and I, or when we as a community, are in a heightened state of fear, we're afraid. There's something out there that's a great threat to us, to our well-being, to our livelihood, to things that we hold dear. Are we more or less likely to be deceived? We are are more likely to be deceived when we're in a state of fear, when we think everything's collapsing in on around us and, and like a person comes in and says, I can protect you, I will show you the way. I'm a promised one, I'm a Messiah, I'm a Savior, I come in the name of the Lord. Let's go do what I want us to do. Are people more or less likely to be like, okay, when they're afraid? You see, we are more likely to be deceived when we are overcome with fear. Now, could you ever imagine a time in human history that would need a message like this? Maybe a time in human history where everything is on fire And everyone is out to get us. And the us's are versus the them's. And the them's are going to come destroy us and our things. And so in order to protect us from the them, donate today. Am 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 I over here by myself? Like, is this not where we're at? Jesus says to his followers, to his disciples, watch out. Be aware. So that no one would deceive you. You're scared of the temple falling down. You're you're afraid of things collapsing. Be aware and don't be deceived. Many will come in my name saying, I am he. So there's going to be people who come in the name of the Lord. There's going to be even people who say, I am your Messiah. I am your chosen one. I am your Christ. And they will deceive how many? So many. But for you, a Jesus follower... Watch out. Don't be deceived. Okay. When you hear, okay, I love this. Okay, so Jesus, uh, this temple thing, it's making us scared. Um, bring us some comfort. Remember the, remember the question that they wanted to know. When and what are the signs? Because the by the way, the collapse of the temple meant the end. I want you to see that this is a catastrophic thing to say. For Jesus to say it's all going to collapse, there won't be one stone left upon the other, this is catastrophic reality, okay? This is not like some random house burning down, which is catastrophic for the home owner and the family. This is the complete implosion of our culture and our community, of our nation. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, don't be what? Don't be alarmed. Don't be alarmed. These things must take place, but it is not yet the end. Okay, so when we hear of a war or a rumor of a war, which has there ever been a point in time where that's not actually the case? Aren't there always either wars happening or rumors of wars happening? Okay, so when you hear about wars or rumors of wars and you feel it overwhelming you and you feel afraid and you feel like the whole world is falling apart, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. afraid. Is it the end, Jesus, when we hear about the war? it's Not the end. It's Not the end. You guys are asking when and what's the sign? I want you to know when you see wars or rumors of wars, don't be alarmed. Be aware. Don't be afraid. These things happen, right? Okay, but Jesus, what about like powerful things happening in the global sphere, Jesus? What about nations? Yeah, nation will rise up against nation, kingdom against kingdom. This is normal. By the way, has there ever been a time where this isn't going on? So here's the deal with Mark. I just want to jump to the chase with Mark 13 here. A lot of people refer to Mark 13 as an apocalypse, and I think it's wrong and I think it's right. Here's what I mean. They'll view Mark 13 as a story of the end of the world, and I think it kind of is, especially in the disciples' mind, it would have been the end of their world as they knew it, and they didn't feel fine. Any children in the 90s? REM, please. Thank you. Okay, please. Thank you. that was a slam dunk, okay? I'm giving you guys gold here. Okay, pearls before swine. All right, so. Okay, so it's the end of their world, but it's not properly a a sign of the end of all things properly, although some of the language is there, at least in my reading. So it would have been an end of the world. Here's the other thing, too. When we say apocalypse, the word apocalypse does not mean end of the world. This is why I think Mark 13 is actually an apocalypse. Here's what apocalypse means. Apocalypse means unveiling. The thing that's hidden actually gets unveiled. So like uh, if you go to like one of those fancy restaurants in the 1800s and they bring out everything on a platter and then there's a silver dome on top and they They remove the silver dome. That's an apocalypse. It's revealing what once was hidden. And Mark here is, Jesus here in Mark 13 is revealing what once was hidden. We're seeing wars and rumors of war. We're seeing famines. We're seeing nation rise up against nation, kingdom against kingdom. These are not necessarily signs of the end, but rather normal things, and it's always happening. And Jesus says, when you see these things, you want to know about the end? When you see these things, that's not a sign of the end. This is normal things. Nation will rise up against nation, kingdom against kingdom. So be aware. There will be earthquakes, and where? I, by the way, I love this. Remember that they asked for a sign? Aren't these, like, the most ambiguous things you could ever say that are scary? Well, like, there's, there's earthquakes. Oh, he, okay, what's the GPS coordinate of the earthquake so we know the sign? Various places. Yeah, and famines? Yeah, like, what kind of famine? Right? Right? Like, Jesus is kind of toying with them, I think. He's like, you guys want a sign? Well, you know, when society collapses, there's to be wars and rumors of war, famines, earthquakes, kingdom rising against kingdom, nation rising against nation. Yeah, but Jesus, we want us, like, we want to know right now exactly when and where and how it's all going to work. And he just says, don't don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. These are the beginning of birth pangs. But you, disciple of Jesus... Be on your guard. Be alert. Be aware. Again, this is not fearful. It's just being aware, understanding what's going on. They will hand you over to local courts, and you will be flogged in the synagogues. Are you encouraged yet? So, Jesus, what we've gone from here is is global or or worldwide catastrophes to personal catastrophes. It might not feel like the end of society as we know it, but here it's going to feel like the end of me. Do you see it? Jesus here is is switching between like global stuff, now getting very, very local. You will stand before governors and kings because of me, I love this, because of me as a what? As a witness, which means that even if you found yourself because of Jesus standing in in front of a governor or king, the role that we play is a witness to God's kingdom. To stand before a governor or king, my role is not uh, a warrior. My war is not dominator. My role, if I stand before a governor or a king, is a witness to the value systems of the kingdom of God. If you want proof, read through the book of Acts and watch how some of the earliest followers of Jesus got hauled into courts, got hauled and stood in front of kings, and you'll notice that what they did was they lovingly proclaimed the good news of the gospel of Jesus. That's what they did, and that's what we're called to do. And I love this too. Um, It is necessary that the gospel be preached to whom? All nations. And that doesn't mean like nation states. The word there in Greek is ethnos. It means where we get the word ethnicity. It's all people groups of the world. And Jesus here seems to be making a connection between standing before governors and kings and a connection to the commission that he's given to all of his followers to go and make disciples, to go and be ambassadors of the kingdom. He seems to connect those two. So whereas if I stand before a governor or a king on account of Jesus, I feel like everything is falling apart, Jesus seems to be saying it's part of the plan. Never happened to you? Your world feels like it's falling apart. Everything feels out of control, and yet you sense the Spirit of God saying, this is part of the plan. I'm going to be doing something here. You can't see it, but I'm doing something here. Okay, so let's keep going. So when they arrest you, not if, but hello, and hand you over, don't worry beforehand what you will say. Uh, I think it's fair to say that a healthy portion of the people who wrote your Bible had a record. A lot of of convicts wrote your Bible. Might that shape how we think about people who have done time today? Or even how we as a people think about incarceration today? Yes. Now, for those of you who hate public speaking, here's a word of encouragement. When they arrest you and hand you over and make you do public speaking, don't worry beforehand what you will say but say whatever is given to you when at that time notice notice the comfort comes at the point or the pinnacle of the pain uh, nobody goes into that space confident in their own capacities but rather in the moment being in touch with what the spirit is saying and doing because he says it's not you speaking it's the holy spirit speaking so let's keep going now Jesus, this is kingdom against kingdom, nation against nation. This is when we get dragged into court. Uh, Jesus, what ought we to do? How bad is it going to get? He says, brother will betray brother to death and father his child. Children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. I think not only is Jesus seeing what's going to happen to people who follow his way, but also this is another way to say the absolute... Uh, degradation of society. If the family is like the smallest unit in in civics, so to speak, the smallest unit in in society, you'll notice that the families even, so the nations are falling apart, uh, my life is under threat, and even the families are falling apart. Uh, Do you see that here? Yeah, this is pretty rough, and it's a difficult text for difficult times. You will be hated by everyone because of why? My name but the one who endures to the end will be saved. I just wanted to give a note. Hated because of Jesus' name is, um, it's walking the Jesus way, living according to his path, living according to his way and being ridiculed. This does not mean that if you're a jerk and people don't like you for it, that you're being hated in Jesus' name. If you're a jerk and you get your just desserts, it's probably because you're a jerk. And throwing Jesus' name in there don't make you not a jerk. This is about being persecuted for walking the Jesus way. Hmm? Okay. <clears throat> when you see, okay, okay. Hold on to your hats, because it's about to get real strange. When you see the abomination of desolation standing where it should not be, then those in Judea must flee to the mountains. Is this, any, is this ever, uh, does anyone have this on a coffee mug? Do you have it like embroidered in your Bible cover? No? Yes? No? Life verse? Nothing? Okay. A uh, couple of things. Number one, Abomination of Desolation. Excellent name for a heavy metal band. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So if you're looking, it's, and you can say to your parents, it's biblical. it's biblical. What on earth are we talking about here? And so one of the things we've got to notice is we are time-traveling tourists. We are kind of looking at an ancient text in a completely different context and culture with a working database of words and phrases and theological concepts and ideas. And the Abomination of Desolation is riffing on something that you see back in the book of Daniel. We're not going to go too deep into it. Uh, I just wanted to say that this is likely we're to to understand this as... um, maybe an icon or even a person. And so here's what it could be. Here's what it could be. It could be like a Roman general setting up a God, uh, uh, excuse me, a statue to Zeus within the Jerusalem temple. So it could be an abomination of sacrilege or desolation where, where the Romans put up a, a, an icon or a statue of Zeus in the Jerusalem temple. And that's, that's the abomination of desolation standing where it ought not to be. So if you, if you see in the temple, you see a, a statue of Zeus or something else, uh, it's, it's bad. you got to run. It could be what it is. In fact, I think that's kind of hinting at it. But there's also maybe a double meaning, which is when you see that the kingdoms of this world have conquered, even to such a way that they dominate over your religious institutions, then it's going to collapse in. Just be aware of that. So just notice, right? When you see the abomination of desolation standing where it should not be, then those in Judea must flee to the mountains. Now notice, remember that they asked for a sign. You remember that? And now he gives them a sign. But this is not a like, sign that you can see in the future. This is, there's the abomination, I gotta go. Right? This is not like, he's not pulling out a chart. He's not, this is not something you can calendar if you're the original hearers. He just says, if you see it, run to the hills if you're in Judea. Do you see it? Okay, watch. Watch. A man on the housetop must not come down or go in to get anything out of his house. And a man uh, in the field must also not go back to get his coat. Right? This Fast. If you see the abomination of desolation standing where it should not be, Go. Woe to pregnant women and nursing mothers in those days. I think the idea is because they would have an extra burden while they're trying to run away. Pray that it won't happen in winter because that would impede our capacity to survive out in the wilderness. Jesus here now is saying there is coming a time where you will see the abomination of desolation standing where it ought not to be, and when you see that, run to the hills. And this is held, and this is weird. This is a difficult text for difficult times. This is a tension. Here's the tension. When you see wars and rumors of war, when you see famines, earthquakes, and everything, don't be afraid. Don't freak out. This is normal stuff. Be alert. Be aware. Don't be deceived. Don't allow your fear to open up your heart to deception. But there's going to be a time when you're going to see it, and you're going to know, and it's time to go. But seeing it and knowing it, you won't be able to put it on a calendar. You won't be able to foresee it. You're just going to have to react and respond, and in that day, run to the hills. For those, okay, so TV timeout. Um, oh, let's keep going, okay. So for those will be, the days of, will be days of tribulation, the kind that hasn't been from the beginning of creation until now and never will be again. TV timeout, here's the question that uh, theologians have been wrestling with since, this, since pen got put to paper. Is this an already happened thing or is this a gonna happen thing for me? Like in my moment in space-time history, is this something that already happened Or is this something that's going to happen? And I think that the text is intentionally designed to be ambiguous so that we might be aware, which is the consistent call of Jesus in this text, that we might be able to look and see what's going on in the world. We're going to hold these two realities in tension, namely, when I see things that seem like they're out of control, I recognize I'm not to be afraid. I'm going to stay. I'm going to be aware. I'm going to stay walking the Jesus way. Jesus is going to win. But there's going to come a day where it's going to seem like things are really catastrophic, and there's going to be some sort of sign, and then I'm just going to know, and I'm going to run. Now, did that already happen, or is this a call for me? Let's think about that question for the next 50 years. Okay, yep. If the Lord had not cut those days, notice it's like kind of like past tense, this is why we're like, well, maybe this already happened. Uh, those days short, no one else would be saved, but he cut those days short for the sake of the elect whom he chose. Okay, now we're going to get to it. Then if anyone tells you, see here is the Messiah, see there, do not believe it. Again, people coming in Jesus' name or even claiming to be a God-sent leader who do not exhibit the qualities of Jesus nor walk the Jesus way, we should not allow them to deceive us. We'll put it another way. Just because a, per- just because a person uses God talk if their character is not lined up with the character of Jesus and they're not walking the Jesus way, if they don't smell like Jesus, I wouldn't give them a hearing. If you're going to talk God talk but not walk God walk, why would I follow you? And I got to be careful because there's a lot of God talk that could lead to me being deceived. Deceived. So I want, to, I want to notice the character as well as the content of their, uh, their speech or their message. If anyone tells you, see here is the Messiah, see there, do not believe it. For false messiahs or false saviors and false prophets, people who say that they speak for God, will arise and will perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. I, this is crazy to me. Notice that if possible. Do you think Jesus knows or doesn't know if it's possible? Notice that if possible sounds like he doesn't know, but here's the thing. I think Jesus is doing something. I I think this is what he's doing. Remember who he's talking to. Four named disciples who had asked him all the way back at the beginning, right? They asked him, Jesus, when is this going to happen? What are the signs? And Jesus keeps saying to his disciples, be alert, be aware. Don't be afraid. These things are, that's not the end. But if the end comes, don't worry about it. You just go, okay? And then Jesus says, Here's what's more important to me, is that you make sure that you're watching out so that you are not deceived. And he says this to four people who abandon him in the next chapter. So I think we're meant to read this having read all of the Gospel of Mark. I think as the reader, we're meant to see this as Jesus saying, uh, to, uh, 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 they will perform signs and wonders to lead astray if possible. And then he looks at the four and goes, because we as the reader know that they do get led astray, but yet they are elect, meaning they're, the ch- they're chosen by Jesus. Okay, so, and, and here's the other thing too, for those of us freaking out about this, just notice how Jesus treats them as he invites them all back into communion with him. So this idea of being led astray does not mean uh, forgotten or left out by God. You see it in the lives of the four that are named here. They all abandon him, and yet he reconciles the relationship with all of them. And he does it with us, too. Thanks be to God. Yeah. Okay, so, and you must watch. There's that word again. Be watchful, be mindful. I have told you everything in advance. I love this. No, you didn't. Holmes, like you told us all this ambiguous stuff, and I don't even know what a desolation, abomination thingy, whatever that is. Jesus, you have not told us everything in advance. And yet, he says we must watch. So let's keep going. In those days, after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not shed its light. I think this is, now he's getting into what some might call apocalyptic language. I think this is looking forward to uh, the new heavens and new earth. Uh, The stars will be falling from the sky. Is that a catastrophe? Yeah, it's a big deal. And the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Um, There's a lot to say about that. Uh, Let's keep going. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds, which, by the way, cloud, like being surrounded and coming in the clouds, is, is God-taught. God is oftentimes, in your Old Testament, uh, represented as coming in the clouds. with what? Great power and glory. Okay, so I just I want to land the plane here. Jesus says to his disciples that these things that we put our safety and security in, they are going to crumble. The Temple's going to crumble, things we care about will crumble. And when that happens, be alert. Don't be afraid. Just watch. Be aware. When you hear about wars or rumors of war, famines, uh, earthquakes, when you hear about nation rising against nation, don't be afraid. Fear not. And then there's going to come a point in time when the end does come. And when that happens, flee. Right? Just watch out for yourself. But when that happens, you will see me, and I will be coming in power. And let me just ask you, from what you know about Jesus, is this good news or bad news? This is such good news. Friends, if you, if, if conversations around the end cause you fear, I don't think you've fully understood what Jesus is getting at. This is a hope. And I know that there's all these movies and books and stuff written about the end times, and everyone's freaking out, and there's so many bunkers to be built and ammunition to buy so you can protect yourself from whatever the thing is. I mean, it's fear. And if there's one message that Jesus has about his return, it is comfort, not fear. He knows that the fear will lead us to being deceived. And so he says, I'm coming back. And how am I coming? I'm coming with great power. This is the same Jesus who says, I never leave you or forsake you. This is the same Jesus who says, my spirit indwells within you when you stand before governors and kings. This is the same Jesus who looks his disciples in the eye and says, come on, follow me. Don't be afraid. Be alert. Be aware. Follow me. So friends, in a moment we're going to take communion together. Communion is an act of remembrance. Remembering Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. We take of the bread and of the, the cup as an act of unity, not only with one another, but also with our God. So I'm going to ask that you would please uh, grab the elements. that are available in the back of the table, uh, the seat in front of you. For those joining us online, uh, if you would please uh, obtain some elements that represent the body and blood of Jesus. And I'm going to pray. And in this prayer will be uh, words of confession and repentance. And if your heart resonates with this, would you just amen in, in prayer. And then after I'm done praying, we're going to take a moment to reflect. I encourage you to use that time just to be attentive to the Spirit of God and what God might be speaking to you, or maybe even to continue to pray. And then after we reflect, my friend Jocelyn, who is one of our student ministry leaders and a graduate from our leadership development program, uh, she will be leading us in the taking of communion. So would you join me as we pray? Lord, in this moment, we recognize that the taking of communion is something that we do together as a diverse group of people, from different backgrounds and perspectives, unified in you, and that you welcome everyone to your table. In this act, we recognize that we are called to live as citizens of your kingdom, practicing your values on earth as it is in heaven, and yet even now in this moment, Lord, as we pray in preparation, we recognize we often fall short. And so we confess that we have not always lived according to your kingdom. We have often propagated injustice, pain, and evil. We have often fostered disunity, practicing favoritism, elevating our own concerns and preferences over others. We have often failed to show hospitality, love, grace, and generosity. We have often not lived the fruit of your spirit. And we confess this before you now. And we repent. We turn from these sins and we turn back to you, Jesus, knowing that you never will leave us nor forsake us. And we ask that your spirit would continue to shape us into your image. As we take of this communion today, Lord, we proclaim your finished work on the cross, your death, and your resurrection. We cling to you, knowing that you are the one who brings salvation, forgiveness, reconciliation. And in you, all things will one day be restored. So Lord, would you prepare our hearts even now before we take communion. Amen.